With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello and welcome to this very special edition of The Last Word on Spurs. We just want to firstly take this opportunity to wish you and your families a very Merry Christmas on behalf of the whole team here at The Last Word on Spurs, in where we have a special show to bring to you. Delighted to have alongside me as usual for these kind of shows, Jason McGovern. Joining myself and Jason, we are absolutely delighted to welcome back one of our favourite guests to The Last Word on Spurs, in Lyle Thomas, the assistant news editor of Sky Sports News, as we look ahead to the opening of the January transfer window, talking about who Tottenham could be potentially bringing into the club, those who could potentially be leaving the football club, and also a behind-the-scenes look at just what really happened towards the end of Maurizio Pochettino's reign, which saw him lose his job and replaced by Jose Mourinho, and of course, all of your listener questions. We have so much to come in this Christmas special. Thank you ever so much again for all of your support. Hope you enjoy this special show. Lol, absolutely delighted to have you back on this show, as is Jason. He may not show it all the time. 
<laughs> for these particular shows that we do, especially in the upcoming transfer window set to open. But just for anyone out there, Lowell, that doesn't know what you do, and I can't believe they don't, do you just want to explain how you cover Tottenham Hotspur as a club? Yeah, sure. So um, I obviously work at Sky Sports News, assistant news editor is my role. So it's a news gathering job. So um, I'm one of the guys who's charged with uh, developing you know, relationships and contacts um, at clubs well all around the country now. But obviously I started on the London beat many years ago. So over a number of years, I've just built up some some good contacts at a few clubs in London and, and, and Tottenham in particular. Um, but uh, so, yeah, it's, um, it's kind of grown over a number of years. And um, obviously when you build a, a body of work on, on, on a club or, or clubs and, and certain subjects, obviously transfers has become a bit of a, uh, a niche of mine, I guess you could say, uh, then, yeah, it's all built up from there, really. And, and, and yeah, you, as long as you, your contacts are good and your relationships are good, then hopefully the information keeps flowing. So that's uh, that's what I do for, for Sky, yeah. I was going to say, you haven't asked what I do. Yeah, I well, what, <laughs> what, I mean, what do you do, Jace, at this time of the season, this in the summer? I mean, we know you're a massive avid transfer fan in terms of players coming in, those leaving. Are you excited I- for this winter opening? Yeah, I cringe at the 274 linked players we'll have in January, <laughs> We'll probably, <laughs> we might be lucky to get one across the line. Maybe is it the, uh, the Pig Farmers total. Weekly, your favourite sauce, Jase? Is that the one? Oh, Pig Farmers any Weekly? Any sauce, yeah. Brown sauce, tomato sauce, any sauce you come up with, mate. It's, uh, you know, my, uh, I'm dubious about most of your sauces, I have to say. No, you're not. That's why we've got Lowell on, though, to be fair. What is it? Uh, Super Macato or something like that, or tuttifruity.com. Calcio, Calcio Macato. <laughs> I mean, you, you tweet all those links from the Italian websites, and I don't think we've done business with an Italian club for about five years. So that, that, that's a real, real favourite of mine, that one, for right, sure. It's, it's got to happen sooner rather than later, Jay. It's got to happen sooner rather than later. But look, we're going to jump straight into it. First question in from those listeners was JP at JP72, who says, what was the real behind-the-scenes story of Pochettino leaving? Lol, cheeky wink. Now, interestingly, we've actually seen Maurizio Pochettino in this last week or so, come out with a statement to say that he loves Tottenham, loves the fans, loves the players, loves the club and the staff. And of course, when you leave a club, you always want them to win games because that means the team is alive. The team was always prepared to compete. And Daniel Levy, to be fair, go went on. Daniel Levy went on record to say that Maurizio did a fantastic job for the club. He wishes him all the best in the future. He said my relationship with him was very good. It just got to the point where we feel we needed a divorce. Take us back, Lyle. Um this summer, we spoke to you with that window coming to a close. We knew that Pochettino wanted the likes of Giovanni Lachelso, Tsungian Ndombele, Ryan Sessignon. He got those players. We also saw during that summer, he referred to himself as being more of a coach rather than a manager. I mean, where did this love affair go oh so wrong? Well, yeah, I mean, how far back um, do you want to go? I mean, I think that actually, in my opinion, the the Champions League run last year was probably glossing over, and I say glossing over, not papering over, because it was obviously a really fine gloss, but glossing over some cracks. Um, obviously, you know, the futures of certain players have been hanging in the air for quite a number of transfer windows now. You know, we, I feel like we, we we cover some of the same ground a lot, don't we, on these transfer windows uh, previews and, 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 and reviews afterwards. You know, we've talked about Danny Rose and Toby Alderweireld, and obviously now he's signed a new deal, but Vertonghen, Eriksen... You know these players. So there's obviously been some some conflict, or was some conflict between um, between between Pochettino and 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 the chairman and the board and and uh, and, and what have you about about 
transfer dealings and refreshing the squad and bringing new players in and, and, and getting rid of the players that didn't want to be there anymore that he wanted to move out. So, you know, I think it's um, it, it'd grown over a, a, a decent amount of time, really. And obviously in, in the summer, it all came to a head. Um, he, he did very little, didn't, didn't need to, to hide his his um yeah his annoyance at what was going on you know he was asking to be referred to as a head coach again rather than a manager which tends to suggest that he wasn't really that influential um in the in the transfer dealings or or certainly his opinion was perhaps not being listened to as as much as it was before and then once the season started and those particular players were still around yet again um, I think we saw things go downhill quite swiftly from there. I mean, performances on the pitch—they're not—they're not that bad from a uh, from a team that was in the Champions League, unless something's really going wrong behind the scenes. Um, so, from what I understood, and I think it was well documented anyway, that um, the atmosphere around the training ground, around the club in general, was just pretty, pretty dark and pretty, um, pretty gloomy for 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 the whole of the summer and going into the season and. You know, when you have a manager who's quite visibly um, upset about things and quite visibly unhappy, and you start to really get a growing sense that that he doesn't want to be there, and, and, and you know, your manager's your figurehead. He's he's got to set the tone, and if the tone that he's setting is um, is a negative one, then um, it just it just breathes around the whole club. And I think that's what happened, and I think they got to a point of obviously obviously no return, and something had to be done. And when you can't change a whole squad of players, um, and you can't lift your manager out of that 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 gloom and, and malaise then then you need to have a change and that's obviously what they did and and listen in my opinion i think it was a really shrewd intelligent move from daniel um i think it was uh, quite quite clever to get Mourinho in before um other clubs obviously arsenal in particular but the other clubs around have been reaching a point of wanting to change managers and i think he saw the opportunity was there to do it, and I think uh, personally, he's actually upgraded, in my opinion, to a to a to a well, certainly a more experienced manager, a proven winner, somebody who knows how to uh, perform at the top level and and take a team right to 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 you know to trophy winning status, and that's what he's going to attempt to do at Tottenham. So, I think um, I think it's a good, intelligent, shrewd move from them, and uh, obviously, apart from the Chelsea game yesterday. And and perhaps the Man United game as well was a, another poor performance, but I think he's really um, restored a lot of the team's confidence. They look back to to looking at least more like a top side, and uh, I don't expect them to keep growing from here. So yeah, it looks good at the moment. I think. Jace, we haven't really had the chance to reflect on Pochettino. Of course, we did that show straight after he was sacked. But when you reflect back now, do you think it was a case where for you watching that team on a week to week basis, especially towards the end, did he just simply lose? that dressing room and those issues that Lyle spoken about off the field just simply end up transcending on them? I think, you know, if you looked at it, uh, particularly without the benefit of the last few weeks, you'd have said it definitely looked that way, didn't it? We, we had that, that shocking result to Bayern, which, which was a strange night because for 40 minutes of that, we probably played some of the best football we'd played all season and, and looked well and truly in that game and could quite easily have been three or four up in that game had we taken our chances and yet... It became the the worst night in our European history at home. And then you expect to see a, a reaction. And we went to Brighton and we were so poor at Brighton. It was, you know, even allowing for Hugo's injury in the opening two minutes before he got injured, we were all over the place. And and after that came some, some really drab performances at home to Watford and 
a shocker at Everton and a shocker at home to Sheffield United. And so you looked at it and you genuinely thought this is this has run its course and and it is time to make the change. Jose's come in and lifted it, but the interesting thing is now, you know, we've we've seen a couple of Pochettino style performances, let's be fair, under under Jose in those two games at United and, and you think, you know, as as much as we needed to change a manager you know, having changed the manager, those players now can't hide behind the fact that there's some there's some alarming holes in that side, and, and we saw it get ruthlessly exposed again yesterday. So, you know, probably you you think did Pochettino underachieve with that squad, or when you look at some of the performances now, you think you know just what a miracle it was that we did have top four football in a Champions League final. But the change has been made, and we have to move on. But I think there's there's a number of players that will have a very short, you know, they, they won't have too many months left if if hopefully Mourinho gets his way. I just want to ask you, Lowell, Sky Sports News had learned that the relationship between Chairman Daniel Levy and the, the manager turned sour in those last few months, especially as we understand it because of Pochettino's suggestion that he had planned to leave Tottenham if they had won the Champions League final in June, which was a bad morale for the whole of the club, not just the players, and it was seen as a big mistake and those frustrations grew even further when he was linked to the likes of Real Madrid and Man United and never really shut those rumours down. I think as Sky reported, they felt Spurs as a club wanting to say, this is my club, I want to stay here. And then we saw, as you said, the season, this start of the season, performances and results continuing to nosedive. Do you think the club had no choice and just how bad did it get? You mentioned the word it was toxic in that dressing room and also behind the scenes at the football club. I mean, there was also a reference to, you know, Pochettino being like big brother in terms of his CCTV watching the players. Did it get as bad as what was reported out there? Well, there were there certainly were rumours, strong rumours, um, and, and and from some people that I, I trust, certainly saying that, um, that Pochettino, for a while at least, wasn't coming out for training um, and was watching, watching uh, from his office. And listen, you know, the, on the one hand... Again, that doesn't. You would think that doesn't really speak uh, great things to the players about um, how he feels about being there and how he feels about them. But I know certainly that uh, Alex Ferguson used to do that when he was at Manchester United. He used to, he would, he would stay away from training for the majority of the week and then come in on the Friday and and feel like his kind of presence on the training field, his his new presence on a Friday would kind of give the players that extra lift. Now, I don't know whether that's what um, what Pochettino was attempting to do or not, but anyway. Yeah, as I said, you know, things. The atmosphere was 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 pretty bad from what I could gauge, and you know, it's it, it it has to be for for a change like that to happen. You know, for for to go from being a Champions League um, finalists to 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 losing your job or not being the manager of the club anymore within such a short space of time, it, that has to be the way. And, and unfortunately, again, it's the same for 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 pretty much every club once. Once that atmosphere becomes like that, it's very, very hard to lift it again. Very, very hard, especially when your manager is feeling that way. You know, when a, when a manager is is, is still, uh, you know, feeling motivated and, and feeling good about things and feeling ambitious and optimistic, that rubs off on players. And 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 you can you can move out players that don't want to be there and don't feel the same way and bring new players in. But when you have a manager who's who's own demeanour is one of, of of I don't really want to be here anymore then uh, then yeah there really is a point of no return really and, and listen he reflected that much didn't he around the, around the Champions League final and the semi-final saying that he if they won it that he could leave and 
you know, even if that wasn't necessarily true in the case, I think it's just not a good idea to say it, I don't think. Um, it just seems like a very odd thing to say around that time when you want to be breeding positivity in everybody around the club and, and, and you know, showing a, a united front. It just seems like a very odd thing to, to even say in jest, really. So, um, so, so yeah, yeah, I think the atmosphere was, was, um, was, was really untenable for everyone. Thing as well, in fairness to Pochettino, I think that the most difficult thing for him would have been that finally the club did go and make some signings and we made one really early. And yet, you know, even now we're sitting here and thinking Ryan Sessegnon's not starting a Premier League game and Lacelso's not starting a Premier League game and Tongi and Dombele are still not fit enough to play a Premier League game. And so, you know, that... Well, exactly. I, I think also he'd mentioned before, hadn't he, that he'd always wanted to get players in early. We've, that's yeah. a subject that we've talked about a lot, isn't it? Um, in previous windows, the, the you know, the, the difficulties with actually getting players in when a manager wants them um, and and actually, you know, actually doing so and doing early business. I know some clubs do, but if you look at it right across the board, um there aren't that many deals done early in the transfer window. A club might get one or two done, but you'd never see a club do all their business really um, very early. Bar bar your top teams that have got all the disposable income they let, that they like and and have are able to attract any player that they like. The others, it's the same right across the board. And and I don't think you'll find a manager anywhere who's ever gets to the end of a transfer window and is completely delighted with what they've done because it's a you know it's a honestly I can't speak from experience. The transfer window is a is a beast uh, that you can really think you're in control of or think you're on top of, think you can know what's happening. And then something can just come out of nowhere or you can you can think something is going to happen and it doesn't. So, uh, yeah, again, that's probably an interesting subject maybe to talk about another time, really, is, is how how the transfer window is in that, in that respect. Because I know from my point of view as a journalist, you know, trying to keep on top of it, trying to report what's going on out there and you always report what you hear and what you know and what you what you you trust to be the case but things can change so quickly and it can be actually hard to reflect that for the fans really and I know a lot of the fans see it as a sort of competition of who can be right the most and who can be first the most and that kind of thing but that's that's not the way I and, and, and other guys um, look at it you know it's about being accurate before being first but also um, yeah being a bit shall we say cautious about um about things and, and leaving things a little bit open to change in the way that they're reported because it, it is always open to changing. Lyle, do you do coaching courses for Ricky? Any chance? What are you talking about? Can I ask you, Lyle, just, just, just to finish up, Lyle, on the Pochettino subject because we want to move mm. on to Jose Mourinho. One of the things that I think was a big frustration, me and Jason have had this chat oh, over numerous weeks, months, and over a huge amount of shows, is the massive fact that Pochettino failed to move on a lot of those players that wanted to leave the club. Do you think when you look back now at his time, and especially towards the end of it, that probably was the most damning thing, that Tottenham did not move on players in the summer and had players there that just simply didn't want to be at the football club. Yes, we have seen Toby Adeverald sign a new contract, but with the likes of Ericsson, with the likes of Jan Vertonghen, who clearly Mourinho has come out and said that he would like these guys to sign new deals. He would like them to stay at the club. Obviously, we have to wait and see if that's going to be the case. We'll obviously maybe come on to that a bit later with you. But is that the biggest frustration towards the end of it for, for Pochettino, that he didn't have the opportunity to move those players on that didn't want to be there? And that also then reflected in having a camp with a lot of it being quite negative. Yeah, it was, it was certainly part of it. I think there's a number of factors. I mean, 
firstly, there's the way Pochettino works. And um, I think the, the style of manager that he is, the kind of great physical demands that he he wants from players and the fact that he he works better with younger, hungrier players who have more of that raw energy and that raw talent that he can kind of hone and nurture in his way. Um, to get to get those kinds of levels out of players every week, season after season, I think it has probably a shorter lifespan than than most other squads. Do you see what I mean? So I think that would be one of the reasons why he wanted to move those older players out because he probably didn't think that they had their energy energy levels as high as that. And and listen, certainly when players start reaching their early thirties, it's very difficult for them to be training at 100 miles an hour every game and. Uh, sorry, every day, and then and then doing so twice a week in, in matches as well. So I think the, the the style of manager that Pochettino is lends itself more towards working with your Ryan Sessegnons and, and your Deli Allies and people like that, your young players with all, with so much energy to burn and give. Whereas Mourinho is obviously a different type of manager. You know, he's a more more experienced guy, um, and uh, obviously his training methods are going to be different from Pochettino's and. He's probably a little bit more versatile in that way. And, he, and I think, like you said, we're going to get onto Mourinho next, but I've been really impressed with with Mourinho and and and, and the, the, the style and the philosophy that he's already brought into the club. And the fact that he seems to have ad- adapted and adjusted himself in quite a clever way, I think, uh, bringing in Jao Sacramento's assistant in particular is, is quite a clever move, I think. He's brought in somebody who's, again, a young and hungry dynamic sort of coach but somebody that's not afraid to test him and push Mourinho's boundaries so he's sort of uh, added an extra weapon to his already quite sizable dare I say this word Arsenal in the sense that he's got a lot of strings to his bow Mourinho already and he's now added somebody who's got a very progressive forward way of looking at things and looking at tactics and is not afraid to give him new ideas and we've seen that already in a few games uh, you know, we saw in the Olympiacos game. I think it was Jao Sacramento who instigated the the dire for Ericsson change, and which which um, paid dividends in that game. So, um, so yeah, I think um, I think that's one of the reasons why. Going back to what your question, why Pochettino's um, tenure came to its natural end, and why you've seen now Toby Alderweireld sign a new contract because um, I should think that the, the training sessions are probably slightly less demanding on a player of that age and. They're able to manage them a little bit more, more, more cleverly, um, and get the best out of them in in matches. I mean, listen, Toby's not that old; he's only thirty, isn't he? He's got a lot of energy still, still, and that's quite young for a certain half. But um, it's definitely interesting that he signed a new deal quite quickly. I think that shows really what the issue was. That it was an issue between him and him and Pochettino, and uh, and and that now that they've. they've um, they moved to a new manager. He's got a new lease of life, clearly. And just to bring it on to Mourinho, Jace, just to come around to you before I go into the details with Lowe in terms of how that move transpired at Tottenham. Daniel Levy has been accused in the past of maybe falling asleep during a transfer window. When you look at, Jace, how, well, how quick we moved sacking Pochettino to getting Jose Mourinho under 24 hours, when you look at the UK time that... He was sacked, Pochettino. At, I'm led to believe it was at half seven, seven thirty UK time. You go to bed, you then wake up, and at six a.m., Jose appointed the head coach of Tottenham. And there is that element out there, Jay. You think if Daniel Levy could be like that during a transfer window, Tottenham may get their deals done much quicker. Both players coming in and players coming out. Is that easy to say? Yeah, I think it's easy to say, and I think we 
we seriously underestimate the fact that he didn't put, sack Pochettino at, at half past seven in the evening and then just make one phone call to Mourinho. I think it, it's pretty clear. I think Mourinho's or the report suggests that they started speaking after the Watford game. So that was four weeks before Pochettino was sacked. And, and obviously that was the initial contact and then other things must have come. And the fact that, that Mourinho was able to have Sacramento and his coaching staff all in place and, and conversation deals with Lille and things like that have been agreed. It's, it's pretty obvious that conversations were probably open, particularly I would think even before the... I would think even before the Everton game that the decision had been made and it was just a question of getting everything and ready to run with it. And um, and that's when it happened. But I mean, certainly the lesson in, in in how you should replace a manager, I mean, you know, some people say that's a little bit underhand, but I think that's exactly how you should do it. You, you make the decision and you think, right, he's clearly not good enough and I need to find somebody better. And, and we chose to do it that way. Whereas if you compare it to the, to the Woolwich way, they, they've been dragging their heels for a couple of weeks, haven't they? Seen, seen manager like, you know, obviously think Brendan Rodgers will take the job. He signs a new contract because he's not interested in the job. And, and they look like they'd sacked a manager with absolutely no plan whatsoever in place. And they've ended up with an assistant manager from another club and, and, and with, with no real experience for a club of their size. So, you know, we've, we've certainly, I think, uh, handled our situation a hell of a lot better than, than they have down the road. Just how much credit, Jace, before I bring Lowell in on this conversation, do you give Daniel Levy for hiring someone with the calibre of Jose Mourinho? There will be that argument that about Pochettino's time at the club, Spurs wouldn't have been able to attract someone of Mourinho's you know, calibre. He actually said, Daniel Levy, on the appointment that he's a great manager, but we are also a big club. Sometimes you need to be in the right place at the right time. It suits him and it suits us. Does it feel in a way, Jace, for you... This is more of a business relationship than with Mourinho. We had a, a real emotional connection with him. I, I certainly think, you know, the, the emotional relationship we have with Pochettino will be hard to, to match. I don't think Mourinho is necessarily the warming type character that Pochettino is. But uh, obviously, if, if the success comes, then, then that will be a great thing. But the success part of it that we all hope will come, even me, you know, I hope we'll get the success. and, and I don't want to see it fail. I want to see it succeed, but I think we all know Mourinho can't do it all on his own. And and the fact that he's walked in and people say, oh, that's it, we're guaranteed to win a trophy. We're not. There's still a lot of hard work to do with that current squad to get that, to get the, to re-energise it and to bring in some new faces and, and go again. And if he can do that, and Daniel Levy has to play a huge part in that, if he can do that, then then I'm sure Mourinho can bring us the success that people think he is. But at the moment, then you know Mourinho's ambition needs to be matched by Daniel's, not just to appoint him as a manager, but for the way he wants to take that team forward. Can you talk us through, Lyle, just those negotiations? We understand, again, according to Sky Sports, that the negotiations between Daniel Levy and Mourinho's agents are heavy began after that 1-1 draw at home to Watford. That was over the three weeks before he was then appointed as Tottenham Hotspur's head coach. Is that right, as you understand it, in terms of negotiations, starting with Mourinho and his entourage? Yeah, that's that's what we reported. That's um, that's what we understood to be the case, that um, I think it had reached a, they'd reached a decision that they were going to do something or at least um, start discussing uh, what could happen with someone else about three weeks before. So, yeah, that was after the Tottenham game and... Uh, 
And obviously, once the once the, I can't remember which game it was. There was the last game that Pochettino um, managed now, off the top of my head. But it was it was a defeat, wasn't it? I think. And uh, well, no, it was in the international break, wasn't it? So, yeah, the way we understood it, that, that I think that, that there'd been some conversations in the international break about whether it would, now was the right time to do it. And um, yeah, I think I think it was. I think um, you see a lot of sackings and managerial changes in that in that particular. In November international break, and it's um, it's, a, it's a sensible time to do it. I mean, the club are 14th in the league. I mean, can I ask you, though, just on that point you said in terms of the international break, I think fans were a little bit surprised that the sacking came the week in which we were building up to play in West Ham, and it wasn't the week before, just after our last game. It almost was a case of we waited a further week where some were just surprised that we didn't bring <laughs> a manager in quicker. Was there a reason for that? Was it a case they were discussing compensation? Do you know why Spurs maybe? took their time in terms of changing the manager? Yeah, I think they, they, well, they would have just wanted to make sure that everything was, was copper-bottomed and and, uh, and Mourinho is ready to come in at that, at that particular point. So I think uh, it probably would have been something to do with negotiations between between them and, and Mourinho and making sure everything was ready and, and you know, it could have, well, it could have been anything. I don't know exactly what the reason was that, that, that they picked that particular day, but, um, but um, I think, yeah, the timing didn't, it was a little bit shocking in that respect. I can see that. I can see why fans think that. But um, I wasn't surprised that it, that it, that it happened. I mean, there was rumours that, that something was happening. Um, you know, a few days before, a few of the players were, were talking about they were hearing things and there might be a change. And, and then I think it was less than 24 hours that, after that that, um, that it happened. So... It was yeah, it was a bit of a shock, but at the timing, but but not surprising in the end. And we know Lyle, already that with Mourinho working for Sky, um, he's been a massive fan of this Tottenham squad. He's admired it from afar, from a distance. He's tried us on a lot of these players, the likes of Eric Dyer, the likes of Lucas Moura. Daniel Levy said, once I made the decision in my mind, we had to make the change. Although we knew of more than one candidate who would have been interested, Jose was absolutely number one. He seemed to make that very clear that Mourinho was his number one target. Do you know, out of interest, who else would have been on that shortlist? Because there were names rattled about, the likes of RB Leipzig manager Julian Nagelsmann, who we're now going to come up against in the Champions League, maybe PSG's Thomas Tuchel. Any other names on there that maybe would have surprised us, or have I kind of rattled off those names that were probably already on that list? Uh, I'm not sure whether any of the names would have surprised you. I think um, you'd probably put um, Allegri on that list as well, given his experience and his pedigree and his... um, the fact that he was a free agent as well. Um, I mean, there's a few names that have been mentioned to me over over the years that I don't know whether they would have been on the list or not. But I mean, people like Conor Sau, the manager at Porto. I've been told before that, that Daniel's liked his work, so maybe his name was on there as well. But but I think, yeah, I'm I'm not surprised they look no further than than Mourinho. You have all the managers out there, especially the ones that are available. He would he would top the list. I mean, I know things didn't go great for him at Manchester United, and a lot of people said. That perhaps his his glory days were over, but I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, I think Jose's had to adapt to a, a changing culture in football, away from you know the the all encompassing manager, which is what he, he he was for a long time at all the clubs that he was at, to 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 being part of the club model and and being more of a head coach. And I think whereas when he went into Manchester United, it might have been a bit more stubborn about um, about a head coach sort of role, and obviously the they they never had a sporting director there, which I think hindered them um, quite a lot. And, and Manchester United have been having problems, you know, all right through the club since Ferguson left. So I think it was always a, a huge ask for one man really to change 
change the fortunes of that club. And I mean, listen, Mourinho is what the fourth the fourth guy there they've had in since since Ferguson, and there hasn't been that much, uh, if if any, change and development and improvement there. Um, certainly in their league position and for since then. So I think um, I think Mourinho's had to adapt. And I think, I think going back to what I said earlier, I think he's done that quite cleverly um, going into Tottenham, um, accepting the head coach role and bringing in a clever assistant with him. Um, so I think it was the he was the right man, certainly. And just before we finish up on Jose Mourinho as a subject, Jace, when this appointment was maybe you'd say ongoing, strong rumours that Jose Mourinho was going to take over the football club. A lot of Tottenham fans are thinking, how is this going to work? How is Jose Mourinho and Daniel Levy going to come together and work? We're talking about very strong-minded people, quite stubborn in their own way when it comes to the transfer market. Can this work for you long-term, or do you just see it at the moment as it being as what Daniel Levy's also mentioned, the same as Mourinho, it's the, the right place at the right time for both. Who knows how long it will last? Just maybe try and enjoy it as long as it does, providing that success comes with it. I think it's impossible to guess how it's going to work. and I don't think we'll really know until the summer because we go into a window where we know it's traditionally hard to get deals done and the quality of player that we want is just not readily available in that January window. Lucas Moura was a, was a one-off deal, but invariably the, the types of players that we need to... You know, you're talking about Dombele doesn't join you in, in, in January, does he? And yeah, Christian Eriksen doesn't join you in January and things like that. So it's it's incredibly difficult for us to to improve it. So I think it will be it will be the, the bigger test will be in the summer and, and there'll be more scrutiny because if we get to the second month and there's still no sign in and then we roll into August and suddenly we're on August the fifth and we're traditionally heading down towards Jim White Day or it's now known as Ricky's Black Day, it's, um, <laughs> you know, we'll really then see if if, if that relationship can work and, and how Jose is in handling that. But I think it's impossible to guess at it. We just we just got to hope that, that it works better than it has done in the past and that it works to our benefit. OK, well, we're going to discuss how it's going to work for Tottenham because we are going to go for a very quick break. And when we return, we are going to discuss the players potentially coming in those going out and taking more of your listener questions. Don't you go anywhere. We are going to be back after this very short break. Hello and welcome back to the last word on Spurs here. Delighted to be joined by Jason McGovern and of course our very special guest, Lyle Thomas from Sky Sports for our Christmas special. And Christmas isn't Christmas without talking about Tottenham Hotspur and the transfer window opening. And Lyle, what has been interesting is since Munoz's arrival, there has been murmurs about Tottenham potentially going back to having a sporting director or a director of football, however you want to use that terminology. And that man is in the name of Louis Campo. Now, Mourinho has worked with this man before, as we know. Um, he also referenced the fact that he's doing great in his career when he had his time with Monaco and Lille. Um, it's a structure that the club, if Spurs wanted him to work with, he could. He's known this man very well. I think he's obviously developed players like uh, Pepe, Bonanno Silva. He's really, you know, had some really good success with certain players. I mean, is this a, a move you could see happening or Tottenham looking to go back to this model? What can you tell us? I think in the short term, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect um, Luis Campo to be coming to Spurs. Um, you know, whether Mourinho wants to work with him or not. Um, I know Luis Campo would certainly be open to it. He's, he's expressed that much 
um, I think a few times publicly. Um, like you said, they've worked together before and they've got a great relationship, a great friendship. Um, I think it was Luis Campos that introduced and recommended uh, João Sacramento, the assistant, and some of the guys working at Lille to Jose. So, you know, the link is there and the, and the, and the relationship is there. But, but again, Jose, I think, has a, a lot of relationships with a lot of people. But I think the issue there is the way that Tottenham work already. I mean, they, they don't have a, a, a sporting director by name, but, you know, there's a collection of people that, that fulfil those roles. So there's not really any space at the moment for a, for, a, for a sporting director to work. And a sporting director now, these days, is not someone that just signs players. You know, that's, a, that's a kind of you're more of your head of recruitment type. And Tottenham had one of those before. It didn't work out in, in Paul Mitchell. So um, I think that's the main reason why, um, yeah, there wouldn't be a sporting director in. Like I said, the sporting director role is, is more kind of overseeing the, the day-to-day running of the football side of the club. And, and obviously Daniel is very influential and, and, and in that and, and in the recruitment of players as well. And they've got Steve Hitchin as a as a sort of chief scout, um, I guess you could say, head, head of recruitment type. Um, and then uh, there's obviously Rebecca Capelhorn in there as well, who does a lot of the, the, the finance side of things. She's kind of a de facto sporting director, I would say, in that in that regard. So there just isn't any space, really, for Luis Campos. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't see him working working at Spurs in the short term. Jace, we've seen this sporting director role at Tottenham before. We cast our mind back to the likes of Frank Arneson and we cast our mind back to the likes of Franco Baldini. Um, is this a role that you would be in favour of at Tottenham if it is correctly applied? I think if it's correctly applied, yes. I mean, it works so well on, on the continent, but it's one that we've perhaps always struggled with within the, in the English thing but there are plenty of clubs that that do operate it now and perfectly so you know Manchester City Pep, Pep doesn't make every decision there and, and there is there is long term planning with the role so I, I can see it what will be interesting to see with with Jose is, is his relationship obviously with um, George Mendes and we, we, you know we know how many players that George Mendes has on his books and things so it will be interesting to see some of the the, the bigger profile names, whether we can attract those because of that, that link to George Mendes. And I'm sure there'll be more opportunities to sign George Mendes style players, but obviously yeah, to do that, you, you have to finance those deals well. But, um, you know, I, I, I think we've perhaps lacked, I think it's certainly a role that if we, if we were to, to bring that role in, I think you'd, you'd look at it and think we should have had that role over the past past few years because there's no doubt I think when you, you look at the side now and how how the, the lack of investment over the past few years is starting to show that perhaps we did take our eyes off the ball with with and naturally so for Daniel I think with the with the stadium and then the the, the, the incredibly long delay to that stadium and, and without a doubt we we lost time in those windows and we lost time in in the just just really planning for the team rather than the stadium and I think you know, if we do get the role, it's perhaps one that we should have had, as I say, two years ago. Interesting, Lyle. You mentioned there earlier about the, the team that make the decisions when it comes to Tottenham's recruitment. Out of interest, could you give us maybe just the lowdown, for those that don't know out there, the actual team in place at the moment that do have the final decision when it comes to transfers? We know, obviously, of course, Daniel Levy is the chairman, but around him... Who are the guys that are fitting in? Because we know still David Pleat is still amongst the scenes there. He's recommended players in the past, like your James Madisons, your Deli Alleys. Um, give us a, a flavour, low if you can, in terms of who makes the decisions at the football club before we look ahead to potential players coming in and those going out. 
before the the decision makers was 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 Daniel and and um and Mauricio and I think John McDermott was quite um influential in that as well obviously Steve Hitchin influential as well on that sort of um committee if you want I think people like they um, um David Pleat and uh and who's the uh, the ex chief scout there's a there's a there's a chief scout there as well called Brian Carey um I think he's well I don't sure if he's chief scout but he's one of the head scouts as well there um, and then there's Ian Broomfield, obviously, who is, is more of a consultant scout as well. So there's a kind of a team of people around that, that give, um, what should we say, give their advice, give suggestions, uh, you know, give their expertise really on, on a consultancy basis. But, the, but in terms of the decision making, it's down to it will be down to Jose and, and, uh, and Daniel um, going forward. Jace, first question to you on the transfers coming in. If I was to ask you right now, how many players between now and the summer do you think Tottenham need to be in a position where they can compete for the Premier League and the Champions League under Jose Mourinho seriously? 17. Really? You're joking, right? 17 players? No, no. no you I, honestly mean that? No, I seriously said the other night, didn't I? I said, when you look at the roles, goalkeeper, right back, left back, two centre-backs, holding midfield player. but So there's there's five positions and um, you know Toby's now signed, so that's that's one less player. But within those positions, we're talking about ourselves. Gazaniga not good enough, and Hugo not good enough. So there's two goalkeepers. We're talking about Oria not good enough. Walker Peters not good enough. Fourth not as a good enough right back. So you you got to go and sign two right backs. We've said nobody likes Ben Davis, and we don't like Danny Rose. So there's two left backs. So there's there's six players for only three positions. And if you, you know, we talk constantly, Weeks isn't good enough, Eric Dyer's not good enough, Victor Wanyama's a cripple, um, you know, Musa Sissoko's not technically good enough. So there's four central midfield players. So it may only be one position, but within those, there is a lot of shortages. People don't want Eric Lamella there. Uh, you know, I've always said it's perhaps Eric Lamella's time's up, Christian Eriksen to be replaced. So, you know, we're obviously not going to go and sign 17 players. Well, I was about to say, but must I love transfers, Jace. I don't think 16 players are coming in love, no. are they, to January? No, to January? absolutely. Absolutely, they're not. But not in January, certainly. <laughs> that's a, Can you confirm that, Lara, for sure? Definitely not 16 players. <laughs> definitely not 16 players, no. Oh nowhere near God. that. I'm just thinking about something on Twitter feed, to be honest. I'm thinking of Jason's face. No, but, but you know, and don't forget what I've said about the January window. For the old squad rules in Europe, Daniel Levy goes out and signs a £60 million player. He wants him to be able to play straight away. And you have to bear in mind with those uh, European squad rules, you can only make three changes to your squad. So, you know, the, it's, it's impossible to go and sign six or seven players and get everybody out of the club because you wouldn't be able to field a squad in the, in the Champions League games in, in Leipzig and things like that. So you've got to still operate within squad rules. You've still got to have your four club home road. So those people that want Harry Winks gone, well, find me a, a, another club home road that's better than Harry Winks. And you're not going to get... And if Walker Peters leaves on loan, there's another club home road out. So you're certainly not going to get rid of Winks on top because you can't replace them. So, you know, you've still got to operate with that. But I honestly believe for us to be able to mount a challenge to Liverpool or City, you're looking at 16, 17 players coming in to make us better. Although, interestingly, Daniel Levy spoke on transfers last week. He said there's an amount we have allocated to spend each year in terms of net investment in the team. If you compare us to certain other clubs, they will have more money to spend. It does not frighten us. Now, again, Mourinho has been very clear that he understands what he's coming into. He 
has said also that he doesn't expect to be spending any money in this January transfer window. What can you tell us? Do you think Spurs will be active in January? And if so, tell us the players you think Tottenham may look to target. Well, active. You mean active as in would they make a signing? They'll be. I mean, they'll be active certainly in looking at the options that they've got and, and making some attempts and um, certainly where, where where opportunities arise. So they will be active. You know, they're, they're definitely active. That's the the information that I'm getting that they're going into the window very much with um, with a with a with a mind to do something if they can. Um, I think right back is an area in particular that they will try to if they can. Um, they obviously tried in the summer. They tried towards the end of the window. Um, I think it was based on whether Aurier was really going to leave or not. Now I'm not. I'm, I'm not uh, understanding that Aurier is close to leaving next month. I don't know that, um, but I think right back m- might be the place where a player comes in, or perhaps a right-sided. Should we say a right back that could also play as a, as a right centre back? Maybe um, I know. Obviously, Mourinho's tactically has has. Um, instigated this change with the sort of the inside right back the inside left back so creating that kind of versatile back four back five kind of system um and i think he wants to be able to do that either side so i think spurs if you look at the squad and certainly you look at the way the defense is they're perhaps lacking that sort of um yeah inside right back the stronger defensive type you know, he's he, obviously he's been playing Aurier as a, a kind of marauding uh, right wing back, really. And I think he said publicly that Aurier is not as strong defensively um, as perhaps uh, other players are. I mean, he talked a little bit about Juan Foyth recently. I think he was asked about whether he could perform that role. And he said that he perhaps could in the future play that sort of inside right back type of role. But he's obviously not ready uh, for that yet. Um so I think that might be an area they look to do. Uh, certainly the, the, the players that Tottenham were looking at um, in the summer um, with regards to that that position were sort of more of the, yeah, more of a, de- of a defensive-minded, strong, tall, bigger um, right-back type. I mean, there was a few that I reported on in the summer. There was um, Elsiad Haisai at, um, at Napoli. There is uh, Hiroki Sakai as well, the one that... Um, at Marseille, I know they were quite concerned about his age, but um, I think they would be less concerned about his age now that Mourinho is there. I think it was more of Mauricio's concerns about his age because uh, he's 29. But listen, they've just given a new three-year deal to Alderweireld, who's 30, and they want to give a new contract to for Tongan, who's 32. So it's not out of the realms of possibility now that Tottenham go and sign more players around the 27, 28, 29 mark. So yeah, whereas before, um, certainly in my research and my inquiries I was always concentrating my efforts on players who were around the 24 and under mark whereas now I think we could see Tottenham sign players potentially of of all ages um, up until about about 30 or early 30s depending on the position so so those were two names we mentioned in the summer um, so I'm sure they'll be on the list again whether they move on those I don't know because uh, obviously the difference now is that um, Mourinho's there not uh, not Mauricio so it'll be down to the, the kinds of players that that Mourinho wants. I mean, listen, I could I could reel through a list of players that meet that um, meet the criteria, meet the kind of profile. I've got a few here yeah. I can ask you. I can ask Go you. On then. Well, tell me. I mean, <laughs> this, is a, this is a player that's probably I think release clause wise. I don't see how Tottenham could get anywhere near it. But someone like Kaladu Kulabali, you know, he's got an, uh, you know a, a huge release clause at Napoli. It's one that has been linked. Could you see Spurs going for that kind of defender when they spent all no. the money on Davinson Sanchez? 
Yeah, no, certainly not next month. I know they want to move. I know that, that, that in the summer they wanted um, Davinson Sanchez to, to to really develop and move and move into the team a lot more. And obviously, if uh, had Toby Alderweireld moved on, which obviously he was well quite close to doing actually with Roma holding talks with Tottenham and with with the, uh, the players' representatives in, in the summer. Um, I think Sanchez would have would have played a lot more and moved in. So, I think you know, right-footed centre halves they're quite well covered. They've got Foyth, they've got Sanchez, they've got Toby Alderweireld now on another three-year deal. I think the, the information I'm getting on the centre back front is is that they're more looking for a left-footed centre half. Um, obviously, with, with with question marks over Vertonghen's future, um, with him, you know, obviously got six months left. He can talk to any club that he wants. Uh, abroad from from January, um, I think that what I've been told is they're looking at more the left-footed centre-halves. Obviously, we know they like Nathan Ake a lot. Um, Ake's futures again is uncertain going into the into the window. Um, how strong Tottenham's chances would be of getting him, I'm not sure at this point. Um, obviously, I think Chelsea, are the front runners, given that they've got the um, the transfer, the, the clause, the release clause in the contract to Bournemouth for 40 million, um, and City want him as well. So he would have City as a potential choice. Um, should he decide to to move on from Bournemouth? But again, that, you know that narrows things down a little bit. There's not that many left-footed centre halves around. You know, there's other players that I, again that I could I could um, that I could mention fit the bill. People that they've looked at before. Uh, people like Malang Saar is one they'd liked. Who's at Nice, but I'm not sure he would be ready for the level. Um, there's one called Ndika at uh, Frankfurt, who's a really good player. Um, but again, he's not ready for the level yet. They're not they're not ready for, for for playing in the Premier League. And certainly, if Vertonghen if ends up leaving, you know they're going to look to sign somebody who can come in straight away. So, um, so yeah, in, interesting, interesting. A few things that have to kind of play out really um, for someone to come in at centre half. I think um, Vertonghen's obviously a big question mark there. And they've got the kind of inside left back one uh, role in Ben Davis. Obviously, he's, unfortunately, he's injured well, at the moment. I think if he wasn't injured, point, he'd be playing all, all See, the moment. That's a very interesting point on Ben Davis, Lyle, because, Jace, do you remember at the time we discussed about Ben Davis and you knew my frustration about giving Ben Davis a five year contract? Not because I don't like Ben Davis. For me, as I've always said, he's reliable, he's dependable. But I've always questioned why we gave Ben Davis such a long contract, where for me, I don't think he's good enough for a team that want to be competing for the Premier League and the Champions League. Is it just that case, Jace, that can, as Lyle said, because he can play as a left-sided centre-back, it's a massive plus for the club, isn't it? It is, when he's fit, that's for sure. But um, but for sure, but I mean, if what, what you've got to be very wary of is if they see Ben Davies' future as a left-sided centre-back, then, then like I say, you definitely then need to go and sign two left-backs. Because if a Tongan goes and Danny Rose goes and Ben Davies becomes your left-sided centre-half, who's at left-back? And Mourinho's already kind of suggested that he doesn't see Sessegnon as a, as a left-back. And so, you know, that's why I talk about 17 players. And, and you know, we'd still have a player that you've just yourself said still don't really think is a top-four player. So there's two left-backs. And if a Tongan goes and Davies isn't a good enough left-sided centre-back, there's another two players. So there's four for those positions. And that's where that's why I get to 17 players pretty quickly. But um, you know, Ben Davies hasn't often let us down, and perhaps the the pace of the game that you know defenders aren't so much uh, needed to be dominant in the air as they as they used to be. There's not so many teams play hoof ball, long ball football. That um, you know, I'm sure Ben Davies can do the job. He does it particularly well for Wales. But then you know, some of those games for Wales when you're playing Moldova and that, you're probably not going to be tested as much and. 
and you'd need to genuinely look at his performances against the better sides. But, you know, when he's played there for us, he's, he's done a perfectly good job. But I wouldn't feel comfortable with Ben Davis as my number one left-sided centre-half. Certainly Ben Davis at his best. He's nowhere near what Jan Vertonghen has been at his best. And, and that's the type of level you want to be, be able to see in that team. Lol, with time pushing against us, I'm going to rattle through some names and you tell me if you think there's going to be any interest in Tottenham if there has been previously. I think there's one player that we have mentioned before on these shows and we've done them and there has been some interest and that's Jared Bowen at Hull. That, again, speculation is starting to rear its head again. Maybe it's with its January transfer window time. But um, reports that Newcastle are ready to admit defeat in their pursuit of the Hull City Four because Spurs scouts are convinced Jose Mourinho is worth signing. Any truth in that at all for you? Um, I know there's been some scouts that have recommended him. Um, obviously, Tottenham look quite closely at um, at, at the Championship. They don't, they've shown that they're ready to sign players at the Championship, and, and Bowen's been a star for well, yeah, best part of well, coming up to 18 months now. He was had a great season last year. Obviously, his contract situation is very um, attractive for a lot of clubs because he's only got six months left. Um, he'd be about. He cost around twenty million, is what Hull are asking for. Even though he's got um, six months left, that's kind of the going rate at the moment, value-wise, for an attacking player in the Championship. Um, but from what I gauge, most Premier League clubs have their doubts about Bowen at that level. Um, he's he's a very, I mean, his goal-scoring record record's outstanding, and he and he's he's dangerous, but he's a very specific type of player like he plays in a very specific kind of way and I, and I know that a lot of Premier League clubs are, don't know how that he would fit into their side so uh, is it is it is he going to go straight into the Tottenham team if he comes in don't think so you know if he's not going to come in and play is he perceived as a long-term talent of you know potentially of the highest level not sure he's quite there yet either um I think you know there, there would be It'd be more likely he would go to another Premier League club low down the table and and look to develop himself into a Premier League club player before before Spurs had a look. But but certainly he's um, been recommended by some scouts, so that 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 part of that is true. This might be through the link we've got, obviously now with the assistant manager at Tottenham Jail, Sacramento. We've been linked with Lille striker Victor Osimhen. And we'll Osimhen, yeah, Osimhen. that was my story. Yeah, your <laughs> yeah. story, and also we've also I understand to been linked with again Lille midfielder. Bubakari Sumer, is that right? Bak- Are those two players? Bubakari Sumare. That's why we've got you on it. No, no Bubakari Sumare. Bubakari Sumare, yeah. Any two so, of those two? Well, I think I think I mentioned. It's funny that Bubakari Sumare's name has been has been mentioned out there because I think I mentioned him um, very swiftly after after um, Mourinho and Sacramento were appointed because a lot of people were talking about all sorts of names at Lille. Um, certainly, the two young outstanding talents at, at Lille are those two players that you mentioned. Now, I know because obviously I reported the case that Tottenham are among the clubs that have been tracking Victor Osimhen, the striker, the Nigerian. You know, he's a he's a hot up-and-coming talent um, in France. And uh, again, uh, he's got all the attributes to become a top striker. So it's a, it's a foregone conclusion, really, that Tottenham would be would be certainly be tracking him and scouting him. And that's, that's what I understand to be the case at the moment. But I think... Whether there'll be a deal next month or not is is um, well is, a, is another thing entirely. I'm not under the impression that um, that anything's happening at the moment, um, but but a good one. Um, and then this, the midfielder uh, Samari is a little bit more interesting because he's only got six months left on his deal, 
So he's, I mean, again, he's another one that's recommended by scouts at a lot of clubs um, quite highly. Um, he's sort of, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he's too dissimilar in the style of his play to, to Tango Ndombele, actually, or somebody like an Abdelilah Decore at Watford, that kind of player. Um, very athletic, uh, good ball carrier, um, for quite a dynamic midfielder, but that's quite strong and, and obviously tall in a presence as well. So um, his, his profile's good, but again, I think he's very young. Is he going to come in and play straight away at Tottenham? Don't think he would. Could he be a star of the future? Maybe. Um, so... We'll, we'll see, but I'm not. I'm not aware that that centre mid is is a is a is a pressing issue for Tottenham. But certainly in um, certainly in January, you know, obviously Victor Wanyama's future is in question, and he could leave next month. He, he obviously not, he nearly left in the in the summer, but they're still left with four four central midfield players in Dio, um, Sissoko, um, Winks, and then Dombele. And obviously he's shown that he's willing to play Ericsson in that kind of deeper role as well. So that kind of gives him five options if Ericsson sticks around. Um, you know, I think other than other than the right back or the inside right back sort of position, um, I think the only one that could potentially really be a go would be a replacement for Ericsson if Ericsson left. Obviously we know they looked at a couple of options in that position in the summer in Dabala and um, Bruno Fernandes. I don't think Bruno Fernandes is an option anymore. Um, I think Mourinho said as much, but um, I don't think Dabala is an option going to be an option in January anymore either, just because we're halfway through the season. I think Juventus would want to keep hold of him for the rest of the season. Um, but could they bring in another player of, 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 to, to replace Ericsson next month? I think, if, again, if the right player comes along, they would, they would try and do it. Um, but, the, I mean, there's no names particularly standing out to me at the moment. Um, and obviously, there's a big question mark over Ericsson's future next month. You know, we know he wants to leave, or he said he wants to, a new challenge elsewhere. We, we know he had, well, I think he had more limited options in the summer than he would have liked. Um, I think it was Florentino Perez's interest at Real Madrid in signing him and not Zidane's, and that was the problem there and why he didn't go there. So Zidane is obviously still still at Real Madrid, and I can't imagine he's changed his mind. So where Ericsson goes, it's difficult to see. Uh, it's difficult to see where his options are. Um, he becomes a lot more of an attractive prospect to clubs when he's a free transfer in the summer, and um, because I think Spurs would still demand the going rate for for his for a player of his calibre and his age and experience. And uh, in January, so you know, if, I think clubs are quite willing to wait six months for Christian Eriksen on a free transfer than than do it in January. Um, uh, as far as I know, there aren't a lot of huge clubs clambering over themselves to get him yet. So I think that's been the issue, and one of the, probably the main issue of why he's still around. And right, so probably low, you'd argue in terms of his form, Ericsson's form. I mean, Jace, do you still stand by your point that if it's you, you would give him that free transfer in January? Is that where you're still at with Christian Ericsson if that opportunity came about? But or, just before that, I'd like to throw a name at Lowe, and that's a player that we've been linked to. He's Giovanni Lacelso. I think we've <laughs> been linked to this player for, for some time, but whether whether we could sign him. In, in the January window. But uh, no, Christian Eriksen, yeah, I, I mean, as painful as it is to accept, you know, we look at his performances weekly. What are we getting from Christian Eriksen? We're getting absolutely nothing. But we constantly, because of his presence at the football club, turn to him to do something, but he never does it. And so for me, I think just bring closure to it and accept it and move on. And finally, when he leaves the club, it's only then will we start to look to replace him. And so 
you know, for me, I think, what is Christian Eriksen going to give us between January and May? Absolutely nothing, is there? I mean, if he, he can't, if he's not really putting a stint in now and he's not really performing now, why is he going to suddenly get to March or April and, and suddenly turn up? And the other thing is that if he, I mean, can you imagine the scenario if he's, if he could sign a contract with a club in January and let's say that club is Real Madrid and we pair with them in the Champions League in March. I mean, imagine having one of their players on our books. Where, where would his loyalty be? Where would his... When he sits in at a team meeting when Spurs are planning for Real Madrid, the club is going to join. I mean, it's just a, a constant distraction. And, you know, the build-up to a game like that would be full of talk about Christian Eriksen. And so, for me, I think, look, we, we're going to have to accept he's going to leave in the summer, probably for zero. In which case, if he leaves for zero in January, what have we actually lost? And we just getting rid of him off the wages. So, yes, as, as, as difficult as it is for people to accept... And, and as much as we think he's a 50, 60, 70 million pound player, the fact of the matter is he goes for free in May because the season ends in May. So why hold him to those last four months where he's not going to perform one iota for us? Just bring closure, get rid, move on. Lol, I assume we've probably finished up in terms of the ins. Is there anyone else you want to kind of bring to the table in terms of targets for Tottenham? I mean, just to kind of finish up from my perspective, I think you've mentioned pretty much every name. There was links to a young right-back, Nathan Ferguson, who you mentioned earlier, actually one of the Tottenham scouts, Brian Carey, watched the player. Uh, again, it's a lot of young players' names coming up, even um, QPR forward, Ezzy. I think you know from your QPR connections whether Tottenham will be looking at him. Any of those guys worth mentioning? Anyone else you want to bring into the fold before we look at those leaving the club? Uh, not worth mentioning in any sensational way. I, they like both players. Um, again, you know, like I said before, they look at a lot of players in the championship. The kind of next one's coming up. They're obviously, two great young talents. Um, but the issue is the same. It's the same issue, really. Is are they going to play? And if they're not going to play, where you know where are these players uh, best suited for their development? I mean, you know, they they could, they could perhaps have brought Ryan Sessegnon in before they they did and loaned him back to Fulham, but they thought that. You know, leaving him at Fulham as a Fulham player was was a better option because he's going to develop and he's going to play more. And I think that's a similar case for for Bowen, for Ferguson. Um, so, yeah, that, that's always the decision. I mean, we've seen it with with Jack Clark. If, they, if they've got into a situation where they're going to have to recall him next month because he's gone back to Leeds and not played. He's not played hardly any minutes at all. Any chance, Lyle, that he comes developed. back to Tottenham and he actually could be considered for the first team? Or do you think it's way too early? He'll most likely go back out on loan in terms of Jack Clark. Well, I mean, listen, that's down to down to Jose Mourinho. And, and uh, I know he's going he, to... He wants to have a look at him uh, when he comes back in training before before deciding, because obviously he hasn't had a look at him at all yet. So he want to see him in training. And, you know, But uh, for, for a kid who's, not, who's only 19, not played in the Premier League before not played much football at all all season. It's a really difficult ask for him to come in and make an impact um, of the sort that, that that would get him into the first team. So very difficult for him, a uh, very difficult challenge. Um, but, but, and listen, we'll see you next month, won't we? We will indeed. Now, Lyle, if we can turn our attention into the players that could be leaving the club. You mentioned Christian Eriksen. You heard Jason Stall say that for him. When it comes to January, he would allow him to leave the club for free. He wouldn't want to keep him. Just to make it very clear, we just want to try and get something maybe understood here. Um, Spurs of all of their contract rebels, as one of our favourites, Lee McQueen, calls them. Has there been a case where Tottenham have tried absolutely 
everything in their power to try and keep these players. I mean, Alderweireld has now signed his new deal, but the likes of Vertonghen or Eriksen have these guys had multiple contract offers on the table from Spurs, and the players have simply said, nope, I don't want to sign them. I either want an improved deal or I want to leave the club. Because that's one thing that with Tottenham in the past, you know, if you looked at the likes of Arsenal, you saw players walk off on a free. You never thought Tottenham would end up going, having to go down that similar road. And it seems that is the case at the moment. When your players are running out of deals, Danny Rose, for example, said he's going to run down that contract. He's got no interest in leaving. With the Vertonghen and Eriksen situation, just how hard, low have Tottenham tried to tie these guys down? Um, that's a good question. I mean, how hard do you try? I mean, there's obviously open dialogue going on all the time, uh, or, or in, at least intermittently over the last few years about... Um, about getting these guys on new contracts, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not aware, or I don't think it's a case of offering, making offer after offer after offer, and it being rejected, and the player saying no. It's not, as, it's not as kind of black and white as that. Um, like I said, there's open dialogue going on intermittently all the time. So it's, it's both both parties getting themselves into a position where they can, where they feel comfortable and, and strongly that they that by making the offer or by receiving the offer, they're going to get be able to make the answer or get the answer they want. So, Vertonghen's obviously yeah. Yeah, a big question mark over over Vertonghen. Now, he's a little bit older than than Alder Vajrad at thirty two. Um, you know, he's got. Well, he, we'll see what offers or if he gets offers next month um, from other clubs. He's obviously free to speak to other clubs. You know, next month for the summer. So, if if you're a player in that position and you're thirty two and you know, you're wondering how many more years have you got left at the, at the top level, the Premier League level? You know, does he does he fancy a change? Does he fancy moving back onto the continent or moving back to to the Netherlands or uh, and things like that, and see what kind of offers he gets? I mean, I know Roma and Bayer Leverkusen were two clubs that were, that liked him in the summer, were interested. Whether they'd be interested again, yeah, remains to be seen. Um, and if they make offers that are attractive to him, then you know, I think. It will be sensible for any player in his position to, to perhaps consider your options a little bit. Do we know, Lalo, in terms of his contract, is it a case where Spurs are not matching the length of it? That's also been one suggestion that maybe Jan wants a two, three-year contract, whereas Tottenham, because of their policy when it comes to the older players, they don't really want to give Jan more than 12 months. Is that where mm. it could be the case? Is there, is there more behind that? Do you know? I'm not. I'm not aware of that being the case. No, I do know that that Jan is open to talking about it. I know that. I know that he wants to talk and wants to to talk about staying. And and, and so, you know, whether that's for one year or two years, um, uh, you know, we'll see. Um, I think it's it's down to down to Jan and the club to decide whether he can match the level and play it, stay at the level for that length of time. Um, I mean, he's seen he's shown no signs from what I can tell, at least in matches of dropping. He's still. Uh, seems to me to be one of the top centre-halves in the country. Um, but only he will know how many years he's got left in his legs, um, whether that's one or two or three. Mm. So difficult to see. I think we'll, we'll see it play out over over the course of the next month. And, um, okay. and yeah, I'll try and keep you update, updated as much as possible. Interesting. I mean, Jace, in terms of Jan Batong, and there maybe has been that argument, especially this season for me, he looks like he has lost just that half a yard. Would he be a player for you that you would like to see Spurs offer a new contract or would you be encouraging Tottenham maybe to go out in that transfer window and really push for a player of Nathan Aki's ability and you know potentially more of a long-term solution to Tottenham's issues at the centre-back pairing? Yeah certainly when it gets to the summer I'd, I'd like to or between now and the summer I'd like to have a serious look around and, and see who we can get. Um, 
and then you know, as we said earlier, you you still got the option then to have Ben Davis as your backup left-sided centre back. I think with Yan, there's I'd, I'd probably disagree with Lyle. There has been signs of him creaking. No, his performances haven't collapsed or anything like that. But there's definitely a a sign of him creaking, and so you you'd have to sit yourself and say where do we think he will be in two years' time. But um, he has so much experience and knowledge, and there's certainly you know you look at. Would he be of use to the squad over two years? I think he probably would be. There'd still be plenty of chances to to play in Carabao Cup games and things like that. But then, then it's down to the player. Does he really want to become a, a Carabao Cup player for two years? Or does he still think he wants to play week in, week out in the Premier League? And so I think they're, they're conversations that it's it's difficult to have. And, and I think on this one, it's it's certainly not a, a one-sided conversation, is it? It's, it's what does Yant want to do? And you know, if Yan says, I want to commit for two years, but is he saying he wants to be a first-team player for two years? And once you start paying Yan 100, 125 grand a week or something, then Tottenham don't like doing that to players that aren't going to be considered first-team players. So it, it's it's a difficult one. I think, for me, I would be certainly looking... Initially, thing would be to look into replace Yan for Tongan. And then if you don't get the replacement in, then maybe you then think, OK, well, then Yan's the full-back option. I'm going to bring it on to Jason's favourite player at the football club, and that is Danny Rose, who only a couple of weeks ago was very clear in his statement that he intends to run down his Spurs contract after being told by Daniel Levy he won't be given a new deal. Danny's words were, in January, you're going to probably hear something. I'm telling you right now, I'm not going anywhere until my contract is finished. Is that true? Or will Jason get his Christmas wish that Danny Rose leaves in January? Well, it's looking very difficult if he doesn't want to go anywhere. I mean, the only solution, um, if he lives up to his word, is um, is to pay off his deal, to pay off his contract, isn't it? I mean, he's got, what, 18 months left to run? Could you so... see him coming in for him, Lyle, though, out of interest? I mean, even though Danny has said, you know, he's not going anywhere, surely he'll have to consider a move if he's not getting game time, which at the moment at Tottenham, he isn't. And it did appear in that game against Chelsea at the end, he was on that pitch for 15 minutes after everybody. It looked like I was... <laughs> It looked like, in a way, he was saying a, a farewell goodbye to, to the ground itself, which is very, very strange for Danny. He spent 15 minutes after on the pitch. I mean, some maybe claimed he was doing a warm down. Um, but, I mean, I just don't quite know. Do you think for Danny, he needs a fresh change? Tottenham need to get him away from the football club because it's clearly not working out between the two parties. There seems to have been some issue there with Daniel Levy as well when it comes to his contract. He's not going to be offered a new deal. Surely it suits him best, Lyle, to move on, doesn't it? Yeah, Wasn't I it think, his best three minutes on the pitch all season? <laughs> the first Can't, time he's been on the pitch 15 minutes and not let us down, wasn't it? You promised you weren't going to discuss Danny Rose, James. You couldn't help right. yourself, could you? You couldn't help right, yourself. I help it. No, okay, I couldn't help No, it. I mean, Lyle Randup, what do you reckon, Danny Rose? Do you reckon he'll move or do you think he'll stay come January? Well, I mean, difficult. I know Spurs would like to do a left-back if they could move one of them out, but... Um... Uh, you know, I don't, I, it's difficult to see after he said what he said. Um, you know that being the case, and he's another player whose options have been quite limited. I know uh, Watford were bidding for him in the summer, um, and didn't get close to Tottenham's valuation of him, so that didn't happen. I mean, he was even at the, top, at the Watford training ground, ready to ready to go, but um, but had to leave because that did, didn't go through. Um, so, I mean, listen, from Spurs' point of view, we know they, they'd like to offload him and they'd like to move him on. If if I was him, yeah, I'd, I mean, he's 29, he's got he's got plenty more years left in him uh, at the top level, three or four, if he, if he wants it. So, it's down to him, but he certainly seems a bit 
uh, jaded about things, doesn't he? A bit um, obviously deflated, um, given that he was once considered one of the, the top left backs in the country, the first choice England left back for a while, and, and that stock's dropped off. So, yeah, difficult to see him leaving after what he's what he said. If he, he's really insistent that that's going to be the case, that he's not leaving then yeah the, the only solution is to is to pay his contract off I'm going to fire some quick names at you Lyle just to kind of round up this last minute or so Oliver Skip Carl Walker-Peters Victor Wanyama any of those three do you think they'll be at the club after the January window do you think a couple will leave on loan and maybe Victor on a permanent deal well I think Wanyama's uh, yeah I think if anyone's going to leave out of those three permanently it will be it will be him um, if I was Walker-Peters and Skip I'd be looking for a loan um, to get more games as well. Um, so, yeah, difficult to see Skip and Walker-Peters, especially obviously if they bring in a right-back, which we know they're looking to do. Um, obviously, Walker-Peters will be down, another ring in the pecking order. Um, I, I, I don't think he, he played in that Champions League game at Bayern, didn't he? Um, yeah, I mean, he, was, he did OK, but did, didn't do amazingly. And I think he, he's another player that needs to go out and develop properly and, and get a season or two under his belt at a championship club and learn... You know, learn the nitty gritty at, at that level, and uh, yeah, so perhaps that could could be something that would happen as well before the end of the window. And just to finally finish up, Lowell, Giovanni Lo Celso, Real Betis president Andrew Haro believes that Tottenham will look to pay the January release clause for the midfielder early in January, in order so they won't be taxed a lot if they exercise it in June. Does that? Can you see that happening? Bearing in mind the players had hardly any game time under Jose Mourinho, and there has been murmurs, reports that. The Chelsea maybe fancies a move back to Betis. It hasn't quite worked out for him so far. What do you think will happen on that move very quickly? Yeah, I think the jury's still out on him, isn't it? Um, he's, obviously, he's hardly played, so he needs to get himself in the team. Um, and it's difficult to see where he really fits in um, in that team at the moment. Obviously, Mourinho's gone for the kind of two destroyer types in midfield, um, certainly from starting the games with with Dyer and um, Dyer and Sissoko, and then he's looked to bring Eriksson on. If he wants something a little bit more creative, if Ericsson goes, that obviously opens the door a little bit for for Lo Celso to play more um, in that kind of deeper deeper playmaking role um, if he wants to. But yeah, the jury's still out, so I'd be surprised if Tottenham, you know, did the deal next month when he's hardly played. I think he needs to he needs to show um, yeah to show himself and get in the team and be a regular before before they make that kind of commitment. Um, okay. So yeah, but I think more likely. We'll get a decision on that at the end of the season rather than to, uh, next month. Fine. And Ericsson, Lyle, just to kind of round up on this one, do you think he'll end up running down that contract and get a move in the summer? Or do you think there is a chance annually if he gets anything from at all in January? Difficult to see. Like I said, uh, you know, with limited options. Yeah, and listen, we, I think we reported as much in the summer as well that Manchester United would really like him. Um, he was one of the top top players on, on, on Solskjaer's list. But I think from Ericsson's point of view... Man United doesn't really look like a step up, does it? Or even necessarily as a sideways step um, at the moment. Certainly when the summer was concerned, it, it, it was difficult to perceive it that way. They haven't got Champions League football. Um, I think if, if you saw a Manchester United who were in the top four, you know, yeah, yeah strongly in the top four and, and perhaps knocking on the door of the top two, then it might be something that's more attractive to him. But, but I can't see it being attractive to him next month with with them being in difficulty as well this season. So, yeah, difficult to see where he's going to go, difficult to see what his options are. And like I said before, to clubs, to clubs abroad, he's a much more attractive prospect as a free transfer than he is, than he is six months before. 
Lol, thank you ever so much. We've kept you longer than we have planned, but you know it's like yeah, Tottenham and the transfer window. It goes hand in hand. We're always delighted to have you back on. Jace, thank you as always for coming back on. Really appreciate it. No problem, mate. Let's, let's look forward to February the 1st. <laughs> and, and I reckon I reckon at 10 past 9 on February the 1st morning, you'll be telling us who will be signing in the January, in the uh, summer window then. Well, George, I'm going to ask you, put your neck out here, Jace. Do you think Spurs will do any business in January, personally? Yes. You do? Yes. Do you want to tell us which areas? I think my gut feeling is, and, and I'm just, literally just plucking it out of the air, I think he'll have gone in and say, I need a right back and I need the Eric Dyer role filled. And it wouldn't surprise me if we do do business in both of those positions. As, or, or at least try as much as we can to get the players we want in those two positions. Lowell, you already reckon there'll be activity. Do you think there will be maybe one or two incomes and outgoings? Or is it just, depending on like you say, it's hard to see how the window does play out because it changes throughout. I mean, you, I know you want to make that very clear that January transfer window, any transfer window, stuff happens. It's a domino effect, isn't it? You can't really predict a window. Yeah, no, you can't. You can't. And, and, and it's, it's about what players are available. You know, if you look at the, the, the players that you want uh, for a certain position, you do all the, all the legwork and the homework on them. And you know there's one that in particular that you want that you can't get in January because the selling club won't part with him. Or he's quite happy to stay where he is for another six months and keep developing. But you know you've got a much more, much of a greater chance of getting him in the summer than you wait. You just wait because why would you fill a gap or why would you bring, you know, the why would you second for sec, settle the second best on your list when you can get the first best, you know, six six months later? Especially in the situation that Tottenham are in. I mean, you know, we're not looking at, at, um, at Tottenham this season, you know, vying for the title or, or, or what have you. So you know, they've got a little bit of room to manoeuvre. I think in developing the squad for next season, um, whilst trying to get in the top four this season, you know, I think the, the, the team, the squad they've got at the moment is pretty much capable after some, some more development in Mourinho's way of, of finishing in the top four. Obviously, it was a real setback against Chelsea to move another six points behind rather than potentially moving above them. But we've seen in this league that anybody can lose to anybody. So that gap is more than, more than closable between now and the end of the season. So yeah, I think they can afford to be a little bit patient and get the right players in the right in the right positions. But um, but yeah, to recap, right back, I think if they if they do anything, it will be there, um, and then maybe maybe a left sided or left footed centre back if um, and another attacking player if if either Ericsson or Vertonghen goes. I think that's what we're looking at. So yeah, one maybe two, but I couldn't see any more than two, and probably most likely it will be it will be just the one if any. Okay. Lol, thank you ever so much. I mean, for anyone who doesn't follow You're you welcome. out there, Lol, how can everyone find your material? Uh, SkySports.com, SkySports, watch SkySports News. Obviously, my name's not attached to stuff while it's on, on air, but um, a lot of stuff that's on air is, uh, is has come through me. Otherwise, you can follow me on Twitter at SkySports Lyle, obviously. That's, um, I've, I've developed a bit of a tagline nickname. All my mates call me SkySports Lyle for a joke now. I think it's funny. <laughs> Lol, thank you so much. Have a great Christmas. I'm sure we're going to catch up again, Lol, probably after the window shuts. Hopefully we've kept the same manager. Hope you haven't changed again. You know, Tottenham as a club, you know, never know what can happen. But thank you again for coming back on. Always appreciated. Anytime. Have a, have a great Christmas. We'll catch up. And Jace, as always, thank you so much. No problem, mate. Have a good Christmas and, and a happy 2020. New, yes. New, new decade. Let's hope it brings a bit more success than the last one did. Oh, please. Please. Trophies, please. Listen, guys, have a great Christmas. A healthy and happy new year to you all. And as always, come on, you Spurs!
Hope you enjoyed that hour and a bit there with Lyle Thomas, who gave some really insightful knowledge into what Tottenham Hotspur supporters and what we all can expect in terms of that upcoming January transfer window, including the fallout which saw Maurizio Pochettino leave the club and Jose Mourinho appointed. And again, just want to personally, on behalf of the whole team at the last one on Spurs, want to wish you and your families a very Merry Christmas and a healthy and happy new year. We are not going anywhere over the Christmas and New Year period. We are going to be here reviewing every single Spurs game. And again, just want to say a massive thank you for all your continuous support over this last year and beyond that. We can't do the show without you guys. Thank you ever so much again. Enjoy the Christmas and New Year. And as always, come on, you Spurs. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.